church. Go to Esther, the book of Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2. I like the iPad better. Preaching from it. No, I, I went and got it. It's better. I was getting lost in the sauce on this little guy. Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Mm-mm-mm. I know, I'm a mess. Online, did you just log off? I'm going to come get you. You stay right there. We're about to dive in. Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Pray with, pray with me. Pray in your heart that the Lord's going to do something in this moment. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we, we just want to express our gratitude for all that you're doing. We, we thank you. We praise your name. It's, it's just incredible in our sight what you're doing. Father, you're just using a, a little church. You're moving us around. You're tossing us around, but you're growing us. We're just a bunch of little scrappers in a blue-collar community that love you. And Father, we just want to make much of Jesus. We don't want to make much of ourselves. We just want to tell, we just want to tell as many people as we can how good our God is. And so, Father, as we proclaim your name this morning through your word, through the story, this incredible story, Father, I pray that you would just take the message of the gospel and carry it to someone who is lost. Carry it to someone who needs your love. And, Father, may we be diligent in your word as we begin this new year. And all God's children said, amen. amen. All right, Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm in Ezekiel. That would be interesting. Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to begin by reading. Sometime later when King Ahasuerus' rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti. I got Lagos and I realized that I was pronouncing her name wrong. I haven't got to the other names, but I got to hers. Her name's Vashti. Everybody say Vashti. Vashti. There you go. That's her name. Sometime later when the king had realized he'd cooled down, he'd chilled out. Oh, my goodness. I remember Vashti, what she had done, and what was decided against her. Hey, hey, just a sidebar, side note, I ain't got time for many of these, but remember, when you get angry, there's going to come a time when you cool down. There's going to come a time when you remember what you did. Just so you know, the king's personal attendant suggested, you got to pull up and see that. Don't miss that point in the text. The king's personal attendant suggested, let a search be made. Let, us, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom so that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem at the fortress of Susa. Put them under the supervision of Haggai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women, and give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young women who please the king will become the queen instead of Vashti. Everybody say Vashti. All right, you'll remember. This suggestion pleased the king. Say, it pleased the king. Come on, everybody. It pleased the king. king. Y'all just look a little asleep this morning. I'm just trying to get you woken up a little bit. Hey, this saying, it pleased the king. The suggestion did. And he did accordingly. If there's one thing in review from chapter 1 as as we look back, we're going to see continuing out in this story that the king, when he feels it, he does it. This king is led by decree. And he is leading by emotion. He's a drunkard. He's a stinker. 
but the Lord is going to use this dude's emotions. Let me tell you, this is going to be one heck of a chapter. So buckle up. We have the memory of Vashti, the servant with the bride idea. We meet two main characters. We have the per- a whole season of the Persian bachelor brook. A whole season. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I wanted to say that with you in here and see your face, what I can see of it uh, through through the mask, the Persian bachelor, and listen, at the very end, there's gonna be a whole plot uncovered to assassinate the king. All of that is in chapter number two. Are you ready? Are you ready? Don't forget this. Last week, we, we said this. At, at the end of chapter one, we have the king, uh, we have really primarily the king and Vashti, uh, him and his queen. He has 180 days. If you haven't listened to last week's message, Go back and listen to last week's message so that you can catch up. Uh, But I'll give you a little bit. The tidbit is the king is putting on display his power, wealth, and majesty. He wants everyone in the surrounding areas to know that he is the man. He is in control. He is the sovereign. And what we find is that the message of Esther is that even though the world looks a certain kind of way, even though uh, the, the world is being controlled in a certain kind of way, really, There is one word that is over it all. There is one God that is working in the midst of the brokenness, and he is really the one calling the shots. Can you think of a better story for 2021? (laughs) As, As things look out of control, as things look like, who the heck are these leaders? Who is leading us? Can we have a do-over? Can we select two more people that aren't like 110 and, and maybe that are somewhat competent and don't have a foot in a nursing home? To, anyway, I'm just saying, like, this is crazy, and I'm not saying pro one way or the other. I'm just saying it's a mess. Can we agree to that? Can we agree it's a mess? Can we agree that people are crazy? Can we agree that as we look at all these things going on, it's really easy to become discouraged? It's really easy to become isolated. It's really easy to become despondent. But listen, (laughs) God is not broken. God is not the things that are happening. God is over the things that are happening, and he's really calling the shots. So don't be discouraged. So at the end of that, the, queen, the king is putting on the display. He's seven days into one of the banquets for the 180 days, and he's like, in a drunken stupor, go get Vashti. Show everyone your beauty. And she said, no. So the whole point is, is that the king is putting on display how amazing he is, and the one person, his wife, his queen, that should have co-signed everything that was happening said, I ain't co-signing Jack. You, you can take that request and shove it. How about that? That's exactly what happened. And so then he goes, and he runs to his counselors and he goes, hey, seven counselors, help me handle my wife. And then I said a joke last week that kind of fell flat. Don't you wish you had seven counselors? Anyway, I'm just kidding. Dealing with your wife. And it fell just as flat right now. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I still think it's funny. That's why I went back to it. <laughs> anyway. And in review, the point is, is that the king, in displaying everything that he had, didn't really have control over the situation. The Lord did. In the end, when you look at this world and all of its splendor and majesty, if you think you got something, take heed, lest you fall. The queen said no. The Lord, I, I believe the Lord changed her heart. I believe the Lord gave her the directive. So in chapter one, it was the queen that we see the Lord through. And so, really, here's the review. The Lord works through disobedience and rebellion. 
So in your life right now, disobedience and rebellion may be the thing that's in front of you, may be the thing that's consuming you, and, and, and you're going to yourself like, this is never going to work. But, but the Lord is going, I, I'm going to use that. <laughs> that's my material. Ooh, that changed things. Sorry, bro. That's my material for building. The very thing that you're running from is the thing I'm going to use. Chapter 1. So the Lord says this. You don't have to explain the details, but you should trust the God of the details. Listen, church, stop trying to, to explain and identify where you stand in a situation like we currently have. And just remember that God is over this situation. He's over the details. You don't have to explain it. He's over it. It's more about God and trust in him. Number two, our focus should be more on our spirit and our spiritual condition than our future earthly position. And we're going to see that play out in the story. So we're focused on our spirit. We're focused on trusting the Lord coming out of chapter one and we're headed into chapter two. So in the chapter one, who was the queen? You didn't even let me finish, but that's okay. You were ready, I've primed you. Who was the queen that the Lord used to show his presence in the story? What was her name? Say it with me, Vashti. All right, cool. Here, let's, let's find the Lord in chapter two. Now, as we read here and we look once again, chapter 2, verse number 1, the king is sitting there, his rage is cooled down, and his personal attendant makes a suggestion. So let's get the story straight. You, you ready? The king is sitting there getting his feet massaged by his servant, and he remembers to himself, man, Vashti was purdy. She was my queen. We ran her out of town. What did we do? And the queen is like, I'm sorry, the king is remembering what happened with Vashti. And his servant, I mean, think about this. Think about the place that the servant is in. The servant is just massaging his feet, right? And he's like, uh, um, king, I got an idea. Why don't we elect officials in all the provinces of our kingdom and they go find all the prettiest young virgins and they bring them back to the castle and you can pick the ones you want to be the new queen instead of you sitting here and remembering what happened with Vashti. And the king's like, that's a great idea. This is a servant. Remember chapter one when something got sideways and the queen was like, nah. The king walked over and, and talked with the wise men. He talked with the counselors. He talked with the people that, that understood what was happening. The king was just getting a foot massage and the one massage in his feet, the servant was like, uh, I know something that'll help you feel better. He just wanted to, to calm him down so he didn't like get the ax or something. You know what I mean? The Lord literally uses a servant to birth a season of the Persian bachelor to bring a woman into a place that will save his, all his people. The Lord uses a servant in chapter two. He may use a queen in chapter one, but he's not beyond using a servant. I promise you, when you look at the lay of the land, you have no idea. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He'll use a queen. He'll use a king. He'll use a servant. God doesn't care. He's no respecter of persons. Anyone in the hand of the Lord can bring up a king and bring down a king. Why? Because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And there is nothing, nothing that will triumph over him him man I, the overarching theme the overarching theme all this debauchery and crazy things happening but guess what the lord is moving 
he came to the heart of a servant, the one attending to the king, and literally the king develops his entire plan. This guy was a knucklehead. <laughs> he develops his entire plan for the selection of the new, new queen from a servant massaging his feet. I made that part up just again. But you, you get my point? Do you see it? This is crazy. I love the, I think the author was probably Mordecai of this book. Many, many, many people believe that. So I'm just jumping on the bandwagon. But I could see him putting that in there. And this happened from a servant. <laughs> the Lord will save his people no matter what. Okay, I got to stick to my outline because I talked too much earlier. The idea of this whole reality TV show comes from a servant who has the idea of cheering up the king. The Lord is moving. The Lord is working. Listen to this. From the commentary, the evangelical, exegetical commentary, the method used by the king in this narrative to secure his new queen virtually assured that she would be an anonymous person fully dependent on the king's good graces. Man, the Lord uses this. I want to make a point of comparison. This is kind of neat. I don't have as much time to develop this as I would like to or as I spent on it this morning. But I want to bring two contrasts to you uh, that, that I was talking about with uh, some of the fellas this week. And, and I think this is vitally important. Maybe you missed the whole message, but you get this. I think this will help you. Here's the point of contrast by two moments in exile that the Lord used in two very different ways. Let's read this verse together. It'll be on the screens. Daniel 1.8 says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. This is where we get the idea of a Daniel fast. He would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. In our current text, Esther 2.15 says this, Esther was the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter. I misspoke last week. I said that Mordecai was her uncle. Mordecai's uncle was her father, so they were cousins. But we find the relationship with Mordecai and Esther was a father-daughter relationship, and we're gonna stick to that and run with that. So in here in the text, when her turn came to go to the king, so we're fast-forwarding a little bit, but I'm doing this for sake of a comparison. Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. When her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask, watch this, for anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the woman, suggested. And Esther gained favor in the eyes of everyone who saw her. So we have very different approaches, but the Lord used them both. Let me explain. These are both post-exilic, the children of Israel have been placed in captivity and they are now under the rule of pagan nations. Daniel, how many remember the story of Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel in the Hebrew children, right? You have Daniel and how he acted in that king, the Babylonian empire, and now you have Esther and how she acted and moved within the Persian empire. Two different stories. How many would say that the Lord used Daniel and Esther one greater than the other? How many would say the Lord used them both? How many would say that both circumstances were needed? Both were needed for the preservation of his people. Both were used for the Lord's purposes. 
But here's what I want you to see. Daniel said, I don't want to eat any of the king's meat. I don't want your wine. I want to do it my way. I'm going to keep my dietary laws. I'm going to keep my law, my structure, and I'm going to move the way I'm going to move the way the Lord wants me to move. Throw me in the lines in if you want. I'm going to pray every day the way I'm going to pray. Those are the stories. Esther says, I'm going to be a part of the Persian bachelor. Enter me in the contest. The man who's in charge, are you following me online? Put no, 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 stop, turn, do not change it. Don't look at that TV. Don't have me on your phone and the TV. Turn the TV up. Watch right here. We got something going on right here, all right, online. I'm watching you. Uh, don't get distracted. Listen here. The point is, is Esther looks at the person who's in charge of the harem. She's a young Hebrew virgin girl. Can we all put the story together that all these women are brought from around the kingdom, the servant's idea, and they're put on display, and the king chooses one to be his wife. So these women are prepared to go in and spend a night with the king. Do we understand what I'm saying? Right? And, and they're prepared for six months. Six months of facials. Six months of getting their nails done. Six months of training, if you will. And then they go in to see the king. And so here's what Esther does. She literally says, I don't know how to please that man. I don't know how to, how to become his queen. I can't do I don't have it in my scope of reason. But I know you do. I'll use everything in your worldly toolbox to get me in that man's bedchamber. You have two different Hebrew Israelites using two different schools of thought. And guess what? The Lord used them both. Before we stand on our almighty soapboxes of what methods are and aren't the Lord's, let's look at two contrasting stories and know that the Lord is above and beyond it all. He's above and beyond the way you think, the way your political constructs work, the way your church works over the last however many years that you've been trained or how you think it should be. Understand that the Lord is going to work and move and accomplish his purpose and his will no matter what. We look at this story and remember it's a monarch. I'm, I'm not... It would be stupid to pull out, you know, how we should treat women according to the, the biblical story here. That's not the context. The context is that within the king's law and rule, he could have multiple wives. It was right at that point in time. And so the Lord used those earthly constructs. It, it's not saying that this story is a prescription for how to live. It's a description. It's being described. This story is being, that's how I'm going to do it. Let's get me a harem and a, let's get the bachelor on and man, that's how I'm gonna select me a wife. First of all, no one would come. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the point, <laughs> the point is this, is that we're not looking to this part of the story for, for our morality. We're looking at this story saying she submitted herself to a system that was ungodly and the Lord still used it. So with that in mind, I think it's very important. Why? Because there are pastors that will don their pulpit this morning and he will say, there is one way that the Lord is gonna use this situation. And that's not correct. There are cults all over the United States that will stand up and say, this is how it's supposed to be, which is a really, it's a good sign of a cult. <laughs> Run. If I ever get up and be like, my way's the, my way or the highway, hear me? You're like, y'all just go ahead and leave and, you know, Call the, the loony bin for them to come pick me up. It's not one way. It's the Lord's way. And the Lord will work and move within rebellions and disobedience, chapter one, and within worldly systems and constructs, chapter two. 
So just let that blow your, for me, it, it blows my old legalistic mind apart. And it's like, whoa, God's so much bigger. Here's some truths that you can walk away with in that. This isn't even the message. Goodness gracious. These are just free, okay? So for sure, don't think, it's, it's a whole chapter, guys. I'm sorry. It's a lot of stuff. I got I to gotta share. Thank you. I needed that. I needed that. She'll chastise me later for apologizing. Thank you, Miss Tanya. Love you. For sure, don't think that something has to be a certain way for the Lord to touch it. For sure. What can we deduce from these two comparisons? Well, for sure, don't think it has to be a certain way for the Lord to touch it. The Lord touched Daniel's situation, and he touched Esther's situation. Here's another one. Don't judge. This is... You need to get this. You hear me? You need to get this. Don't judge the outcome by the situation, but rather trust the outcome in spite of the situation. Don't judge the outcome by the situation. I don't know how the gospel's gonna flourish in an America that looks like this. I don't know how. I just don't understand. Nothing happened the way I wanted it to happen. King, you can kick your feet all you want and get massaged, but your servant is going to give your next plan. Understand that the outcome is the Lord's. Where should our focus be? The outcome, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. At the end, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not worried about who's in charge. I'm worried about who's in charge. You understand what I'm saying? The situation seems a certain kind of way in your house, but understand, don't develop your thoughts about the outcome from the current situation. You tell the situation what's going to happen at the end. Man, that was free. Okay. Another quote from the evangelical exegetical commentary, because I have Lagos now, is, are we to conclude that the God approves of this morality display here? No. Bear in mind, once again, that this is descriptive. Just because there is brokenness in your story, oh, oh take this and run with it. Now, now I've, created, <laughs> I've created some faith opportunities for you. I've created some moments, I've created some space because there's always a Daniel, there's always someone that looks a certain way, he's perfect. Oh, the Daniel, he just knows what to eat and when to eat it. There's always those perfect people. But let me tell you something this morning. We've also created constructs for the opposite. The person who is in brokenness. The person who is in a situation who, who see, it seems like it's far beyond your control. It's okay. Just because there's brokenness in your story doesn't mean that you have to be trashed. The Lord has a propensity towards recycling. The Lord doesn't trash things when he can reuse them. Woo, come on. That's what I see in this story. That's the message of hope. That's what God remembers in this young lady. He sees and has the propensity to reuse. What the devil meant for evil, my God, will turn it into good. Man, I like this book. I think I'm going to put it on repeat. Man, let me ask you something. Do you feel like you're in a reality TV show? <laughs> Some of you were like, shoot, bring the cameras. We'll make a mint off our lives. I see it. They're like, yup. 
Man, that's just brokenness. That's our area. That's where we're at. We learned a long time ago, Baltimore was not like Tennessee, just so you know. I was like, woo, we'll hang out. This is fun. This is fun. <laughs> Do you feel like you're living in a reality TV show? That's what's, Esther is literally like, what? Uh, cousin, father, <laughs> what is going on here? Listen, you may feel like you're in a reality TV show. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you're being controlled by someone else? Do you feel like, do you have this moment and online, I'm telling you, if I see you get distracted one more time, I'm coming through that camera. I see it. No, I'm just playing. The, po the point is this. Many of us are living in this moment like a victim. If it wasn't for that coworker, if it wasn't for that person, if, it, if I would have just gotten that promotion, if, if, if it wasn't for my sister or my mother or you feel like other people are controlling your circumstances. Is there anything of that in this book? It seemed as though that the shots were being called by somebody else, but who was really in charge? So let me help you with something. It's okay. I'm gonna let you off the hook right now to those feelings for you to give them to the Lord today. For you to say, Lord, I'm gonna trust that you're the one in control. Okay, go, go back to uh, Esther 2, verses 7 through 12, and we're gonna... We're going to land here on the meat of the message, okay? You ready for the meat of the message? Here it is. If you're ready, say ready. Okay, say it one more time because I need a drink. I love you, Miss Gemma. You're the best. Thank you for laughing at my jokes. <laughs> Esther 2, 7 through 12. Look at it if you got your Bibles. If you don't, it's on the screen. Mordecai was the, it, man, I'm what's coming is really good. Hang on to this one. I love the word of God. Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin, right? The young woman who had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own, what's it say? As his own daughter. Don't miss this. When the king's command and edict became public knowledge and when the young woman Young women were gathered at the fortress of Susa under Haggai's supervision. Esther was taken to the palace into the supervision of Haggai, the keeper of the women. The young woman pleased, the young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. There's the Daniel and Esther contrast. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her to her servants uh, and to the harem's best quarters. Esther did not reveal her ethnicity or her family background because Mordecai had ordered her not to make them known. Every day, don't miss that. Every day, Mordecai took a walk in the front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. During the year, before each young woman's turn to go into the king of Ahasuerus, the harem's regulation required her to receive the beauty treatments with oil and myrrh for six months, and then with perfume and cosmetics for another six months. I want to focus on one word that the chapter offers to be the secret to the success that the two newest characters of the story have. Who's our two new characters in this chapter? Mordecai and who? And Esther. Two people, two main characters in the story. Now, let me explain something to you. I'm gonna, the end of the story, they were successful. They, they got it done. They, they accomplished it. All the crazy things that we're reading about are going to culminate to many people, many lives being saved. 
Many lives being saved. Save lives. Have you heard that a time or two? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's going to culminate to that. That kind of sounded like him too, didn't it? Governor Hogan. Save lives. Anyway. Uh, the, the point is, is we're going to see success from these two. <laughs> now you get why I laughed at myself, because I, I literally could hear his voice echoing in my head when I said it like that. Anyway. So there's one word that I see here. The takeaway. <laughs> I'm a mess today. The takeaway. What's the takeaway? Save lives. No. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Stop. That was for you. I see you. You're looking away. Here's the word. The whole point of chapter two is obedience. The one word, the one word that you will actually, if you own today, you'll walk out different. Many believe it's sacrifice. And I could spin this message. There could be some major spinning here and say that it's all about sacrifice. It's all about what you give up. That is absolutely present in the story and we're gonna see that. But what I see the focus on is their obedience to sacrifice. Their obedience to give up. Their obedience to walk in the plan that is clearly in front of them. That's the focus. Let's be clear though, Mordecai and Esther were successful. She won the Persian bachelor. She won it. She was the one that got, is it the rose? She got the rose. She won the whole kit and caboodle. So when you, when you focus, listen, walk with me here. I, I only got like two minutes. Just kidding. Listen, when you think about how do I win this thing? Because that's ultimately what it is, this contest, right? How do I win this thing? You think success like fame, fortune, feelings, that defines a win for you, right? Well, a win is like everybody knowing my name. Give me that rose. I see all you from the other provinces. Check me out, yo. This little Jewish girl whooped up on y'all. <laughs> no. <laughs> it <laughs> Save lives. Anyway, so the, the point is, is, <laughs> okay. We're just gonna take a little turn to move on. Online, Holy Spirit's here. You just can't feel it. Take my word for it. He's right here. He's in this moment as I knock my drink over. Follow me here on this. What every other woman would have been focused on in this beauty pageant was the exact thing that Esther didn't focus on. Don't miss this, you'll miss the whole story. She was gorgeous. She had it, but we're gonna see the way she acts with what she has and it makes all the difference in the world. So let me flip the script for you. This is the gospel. What are you chasing? What are you focusing on? What amount of money is it that your bank account hits that you go, I'm a success, I got it, we're good. What amount of fame, what amount of followers, what amount of clicks, what amount of likes? What is it? Is there some, as a pastor, I'm asking, I'm asking online, what is it that you, got it, check it off. Is it three kids, four kids, 10 kids? It's 10 for me, baby. Let's get back at it. You know what I'm saying? How many is it? How many is it? Listen, there's never gonna be anything that is in this life that gives you fulfillment in and of itself. We can't seek these things. We have to seek the God of a thing. We have to seek the creator of the thing to give us the understanding of where that fits in this plan. 
One word this morning, obedience. One word. They were obedient. They were obedient in, in two different ways that I see in this story that made all the difference in the world. Are you ready for them? If I could give you two helpful, helpful things from this text that would allow you to be more obedient to the Lord, would you like that this morning? Would you like that? Here, here they are. Here's two things. Two things that I see. Let me say this one more line before I give them to you. Just building the suspense here. What if we weren't tethered to an idea of what good looks like and we were tethered to a God that defines good for us? What if we weren't tethered to that white picket fence and that three bedroom, two house? What if we weren't tethered to that and we were tethered to the God of it? So many of you are gonna get what you are chasing and you're not gonna get what you thought it was gonna give you. It's unfortunate. And I see it happen. As a person who has worked hard in his life and who's accomplished certain things, I'm here to tell you that none of those things are what we've accomplished. We've accomplished something far deeper, far more meaningful. And you parents need, I'm telling you, if you don't identify this in your children and teach this into your children and ingrain it into their hearts, they're gonna miss it. This story is gonna end with the sadness of what it looks like to lead your children astray. It will, and we'll see that in the future, but I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm gonna get to it in a minute. Here they are, two things. We will see how these two have incredible success in saving, in saving lives. Number one, look at verse number 11. Look at verse number 11, and I gotta run through here. Verse number 11, listen to, the, listen to it, here it is. Every day, Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. In this culture, understand this, that every dad would have gladly pushed his daughter to be in this contest. Just like we go crazy, I don't really get it, but we go crazy over The Bachelor and, oh my goodness, it's Rebecca or it's Courtney or what I don't know. Those names are probably not the women because I don't know. <laughs> but the point is, is like as we go crazy over that, like every dad would have been like, yes, go, get it done. Try to win this contest. Because at the same time that you consider the injustices happening in their culture, most concubines would have met with the king one time and then they would get to live in the palace for the rest of their lives and be completely taken care of, never to meet with the king again because he had 400 of them. So this was a good deal, right? Uh, so separate yourself from the tension in, in the story and understand this, that in this contest, uh, you see Mordecai coming around. There's a freedom there. There's, you see open, open doors. He was in a position of leadership where he could keep in touch with her. But ultimately, he approved and appointed these things for her to do. And we're gonna see this. Why were they able to be so obedient? Why were they able to do this thing that was really against their theological constructs? Here's the first very simple thing that I see. Number one, you ready? They weren't alone. They had each other. Why do we struggle so, so much with obedience? Why do you struggle? In your heart right now, online, listen to me. Why do you struggle with doing the right thing? because we isolate ourselves. If there's anything that a pandemic has taught us is that we need each other. 
We need to be around one another. Oh, wait, wait a minute. What's, what's the church called? Ecclesia. It's, it's a called out what? Assembly. That means we come together. That means we need each other. We need FaceTime, not just this. <laughs> but we need, we need literally time to, to talk. Every day when she walked through these troubling waters, I'm sure, don't you think it was hard for her? Being raised, this young Jewish girl, not in this type of environment, she was obedient to it and she was successful in our world, our world, oh my goodness, what would they do? What would someone who, don't have the, who doesn't have the gospel say? Look at her, she took control, she was on it, she's so gorgeous, she had that thing in the bag, yeah. Believe in yourself, self-love, light it up, oh my goodness. And we tell our children, just believe, you got everything inside. It is like sickening how selfish this culture is how self-absorbed this culture is. We believe in self-made men and women and there is nothing further from the truth. The word of God says we are not self-made, we need each other. We have a God that in and of himself is a God of community, is a God of, of multiple Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He lives in community. Christian, you can't be obedient by yourself. We should all be praying for the day when there is a time when we can all be together again, where we can all uh, uh, not worry about the distancing. Why? Because we need each other. If you're struggling with obedience today, with doing and saying yes to the things that God has for your life, you're probably struggling alone. The first thing I see is every day he was in there. Every day he was checking in on her. If you don't have that, hey, listen, pray for it. Lord, give me a friend. Lord, give me someone who I can be accountable to. Lord, I need someone. We all need someone. There is no lone wolf in the gospel. Jesus himself, my father works and I what? Work hitherto. No one's alone. We cannot be alone. That's the first thing I see. If you're struggling with obedience to God's plan this morning, Know that number one, they weren't alone. Community is necessary, accountability and strength in numbers. Number two, and last, they were not their own. They were not their own. Look at verse seven. Verse seven, Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin, Esther, because she had no father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own what? Daughter. They were not their own. Listen to me. Mordecai had her. Esther had her beauty. Mordecai had her. And Esther had her beauty. Your greatest attribute or talent should, should be stewarded with an open hand. Your greatest attribute and talent should be steward with an open hand. I'll close on this point. I think about uh, Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service is where obedience comes in, not the sacrifice. In this story, Consider, yes, their sacrifice, but consider 
their obedience. Mordecai took her in. She was an orphan. No father or mother, they had passed away. Many lost their loved ones in this war and captivity and exile. But for him, he raised her as a daughter. As a daughter. And consider the fact that when this contest rolls out, don't you think he felt a certain kind of way? Yes, pastor, you already said that they would have been thronging at the doorstep with, with their kids so that at this moment they, they could guarantee that they would be okay for the rest of time. That's not what he had in mind, and it's clear. He was raising her different. He, he was raising her with a purpose in mind, but make no mistake, he loved her. Make no mistake, that was his daughter. Make no mistake that he was invested in her. And at this moment, we see and we are at conflict with how our culture acts and how they acted. Think about it. Think about how we raise our children. Listen here. L listen here, sweetheart. You have everything inside of you that you need. You, you've, you've got it all. Stay with me, church. Look right here. We're putting all the emphasis on what they are and what they have and how good they are at it. Mordecai had her. He she was his concern. What did she have? She was gorgeous. She was beautiful. She had her good looks. Can you imagine in our society this happening? And let me prove my point here. You ready? If I can find it. The young woman pleased him, gained favor. She did not reveal her background. When she was a young woman, she asked the, I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it to you. She asked the harem leader, she said, listen, you give me whatever you got, I'll take it. I want to please the king. Let me explain something to you. What you have is not important. It's what the Lord does with what you have that is important. This morning, the, the point of obedience is, yes, they were not alone but they were not their own. If we are going to be obedient to the Lord, you have to take your very best and turn it over to him. In that moment, I can't imagine that Mordecai would, would, would say to him, just, just go. No, I think that there, there probably was a part of him that said, maybe we run, maybe we go, maybe I, I've been raising you. You are my daughter. You're gonna stay in my house. I can't imagine that he was thrilled about it from the perspective of his relationship, but we don't see that. Every day he was going to the palace. Every day he was missionally minded. He understood the task at hand that the Lord had called him to, and all of his feelings were then secondary. Esther, you think she would have taken control of the situation? My beauty, what I have, I've got this in the bag. That was not her attitude at all. She entered into that harem and she said, whatever you think, I'll do, I'll submit to it. What do I see? I see a story of obedience. A story of obedience where they were willing to give God everything that he had given to them. 
What does success look like for us? Well, hopefully at this point, you're redefining that. You're in this moment where, think about it. Maybe you're the type of person that is jealous about whatever everybody else has. Maybe you're the ones watching Esther in the story. I wish I had that. I wish I was as beautiful. Realize even Esther herself didn't rely on her beauty. She relied on everyone that was in the story. Why? Because she knew God had a greater purpose. God was working the plan. At what point will we Christian turn what we have over to the Lord for him to use it? If we really believed, if we really believed this morning that God can do exceedingly above what we ask or think, if we really believed that, then we would say, God, here's my talent. God, here's what I have. God, do you want me to be obedient to that? Okay. You, you, can't, you can't look at this story and ignore the fact that they were obedient with what they had. Hey, today is a very simple message. It's a very simple message of obedience. But the question is, are you willing, are you willing to be obedient with that? Look at the end of the chapter, verse 19, it says this. Verse 19, when the virgins were gathered the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther still, not, still did not reveal her family background or her ethnicity. As Mordecai had directed, she obeyed Mordecai's orders as she always had while he raised her. During those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Than and Terash, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the entrance became infuriated and planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the plot, he reported it to Queen Esther and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. When the report was investigated and verified, both men were hanged on the gallows. This event was recorded in historical record in the king's presence. That is gonna be very important for the coming chapters. Remember that. We won't expound on why that record was important, but this morning, here's what we're gonna say. Here's what we're gonna focus on. Huge things are at stake. Right now, you may be focused on the daughter. You may be focused on your beauty. You may be focused on your talent, what you have to offer. Watch what gives you what you think value, what gives you in your heart that feeling of sufficiency. Listen, there's greater things at stake. There's lives at stake. The gospel message is at stake for you to obey. Mordecai, right then, if, if Esther had not obeyed and done and, and let the Lord steward her life, guess what? Many people would have died, not just the king. And we'll see that in the coming chapter. Let me ask you, church, are you willing to let the Lord steward what you have? If you're not, remember, there's some big things at stake. For some of you, it will be your children. It's unfortunate. If we put the emphasis on what we have and not obeying God with what we have, your children will take it further. This morning, let's, let's pray in our hearts. Think about these two things. They were not alone and they were not their own. Will you give your life to the Lord this morning? Will you turn over what you have 
Will you let him lead and guide you and steward you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 